morning. Morning, you all who are here live and those who are joining us live stream as well. Hey, I like that. That last song we sang, they did a great job on that. And, you know, I, in my mind, I'm always seeing a reel from Liam Neeson in the movie Taken. When he's talking about kicking down walls and going through everything, he's going to get his daughter back and she's been kidnapped. That's the way I just think about God when we're singing that song. This morning, I, was, I had to send some texts after I got here to the building, and they wouldn't go through. And I realized I had a problem with my phone. I was using a backup phone, so I had to log in to the Wi-Fi again. So I'm just going to remind you of something, a little bit of housekeeping here. On this portion of the bulletin that's got the date on it down near the bottom, it's got our Wi-Fi password for inside the building here. So you find VCC, and then the password is right there, VCC3250VCC. It's a big help if you're wanting to use your cell phone. In the, in the building here, you know, going on, I assume just to go online and look up scriptures. Don't do that right now. But let me remind you, that password is on there. In 1 Timothy 2, uh, Paul writes, Pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Let's bow forward a prayer just now. Our Father in heaven, we intercede today on behalf of of our government, our Congress, on behalf of our Supreme Court, and especially the President, we ask, first of all, that you would give them wisdom and then the courage to do what's right, as you define it, so that we can live peacefully and quietly, advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're talking about heaven today. We're wrapping up our in-game sermon series. If you haven't been with us, we've been hitting some highlights in the book of Revelation, and we're, and we're ending on heaven. It's the two parts. I, I kind of laid a foundation last Sunday, and today we're going we're gonna to finish that. And in Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, there is a spinster woman named Miss Watson who's always trying to drum religion into Huckleberry. And he, she was telling him all about heaven. Here's the way he saw it. He said, she went on and on and told me about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I don't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted, to be, I wanted him and me to be together. A lot of times we may not be as excited about going to heaven as we would be because we might have a false conception of what heaven is going to be like. Remember Gary Larson and his cartoons, The Far Side? Uh, he depicted heaven one time, a guy sitting on a cloud. He's isolated. He's kind of bored, and maybe you can't see the thought bubble, but in the thought bubble he says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Well, um, I want to talk about heaven as the new earth today because trying to, if heaven is immaterial and we're disembodied spirits and floating around in an ever-ending church service, that doesn't do it for a lot of people. But that's not necessarily what it's like. That's like you know, trying to get your, your younger kids, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old, to live here in Vero Beach. They don't want to live here in Vero Beach. You know what they call Vero Beach? Zero Beach. That's right, Zero Beach. Because they want to go someplace that's exciting and has all kind of life, nightlife. I mean, Vero Beach is great for people like me who go to bed at 9 o'clock. But for people like them, they want to live in someplace more cosmopolitan, maybe like Fort Pierce or Melbourne. Um, you know. But then they have kids, and they realize, eh, it's not such a bad place after all to um, raise a family. But heaven has a lot of attraction. I think if we simply understand this one idea, and this is my big takeaway, that heaven is the new earth. We're not going to be disembodied spirits. We're, we're going to have resurrected bodies. 
and we are going to live for eternity on a new earth. So just that one realization, if we embrace that, maybe can help us anticipate heaven a lot more, which is important. The Bible holds out heaven as a motivation for godly and holy living. When our faith is costing us something, especially, you know, maybe it's costing us in a relationship because we're Christians, or uh, maybe it's costing us financially or with a job opportunity or in certain places in the world where there is religious persecution against Christians, you know, it's costing people something. Uh, the Bible holds out the reward of heaven as a great motivation to stay faithful. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. I'm just going to say three things today about heaven. And this is more on the lesson side than the sermon side. And I'm kind of quote heavy this morning, but uh, so I just tell you that up front. I'm going to say three things about it. Number one, maybe the reason we struggle with this idea that heaven is the new earth, maybe we can blame that on Plato. Because Plato, he was a, a Greek philosopher who lived in the 4th century before Christ, and he's responsible for something called Platonic dualism. For instance, uh, speaking of the soul inside the body, he said, we were not yet imprisoned, imprisoned in the body, bound to it like an oyster in his shell. He's, he's talking about the idea that our souls and our spirits, which are good and pure, are bound inside these evil, wicked bodies. And death was the release of the soul from the wicked body, and the purest existence was a disembodied spiritual existence. Uh, Plato is famous for his allegory of the cave. He said, so picture a cave, and there's inhabitants in the cave. The people that live in there are always facing the back wall of the cave, never the entrance, and they've never seen the entrance. And there's a fire burning behind them, and so what the, what the people in the cave see are shadows on the wall. They see their own shadows, there may be animals that pass behind them. They see the shadows of the animals and other kinds of objects. But that's all they see, and that's their perception of reality. That's the allegory of life that he has, that life is like that. What we see here and now, we see people and we see objects, we see animals and different things. These are just shadows of spiritual realities. And the spiritual realities are perfect and they are good, but the shadows and the things we see in this life are material. They're imperfect. And that evolved into their bad and actually evil. So this, that's called a dualism. The basic idea is that which is material is bad, and that which is immaterial is good. And this influenced the early church and uh, continues to influence the church today. Maybe, it, unbeknownst to us, it's actually influencing our thinking. If you go online, if you Google Project Implicit, Project Implicit, you can take a test, a number of tests, actually, they're kind of word association and picture tests. Each one takes about 10 minutes uh, that are designed to uncover some implicit biases or prejudices that we might have that we're not even aware of. And you can take a test that has to do with race, and you can take one that has to do with religion, and you can take one that has to do with economic class and all these different ones. I took one of these tests online, and sure enough, it uncovered that I am moderately biased in different areas. And, I thought, and whether you believe that's true or not, I just thought, you know, it's illustrative of there may be things that are influencing our thinking, what we believe about 
certain things, our perspectives that we've never thought through. And, and that may be the case why some people wrestle with this idea that, of heaven as the new earth. Andrew Sandlin, speaking of uh, Platonic dualism, puts it this way. We think that prayer and Bible reading and quiet contemplation are spiritual, which they are, but that trees and the ocean and good food and making money and enjoying nature and basketball are not spiritual. Well, in the Bible, the conflict is never between physical and non-physical. It's between righteousness and sin. Sin is the problem. Materiality is not the problem. The most evil being in the universe is pure spirit. And the godliest man who ever lived, lived and died and rose again in a body. So the doctrine of the incarnation where God the Son, the eternal Logos, put on a body of flesh should put this dualistic concept in a coffin. And the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus, where he resurrected in a material body, should nail that coffin shut. Paul's most extensive discussion of the physical bodily resurrection of Christ and our physical resurrection was written to the Corinthian church that was struggling with Platonic dualism. He writes 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, we would say any body, your faith is futile. Okay, so number one, saying three things about heaven. Number one, blame it on Plato. Number two, why heaven is the new earth? Second thing I want to say, seven reasons why we might want to embrace this idea that heaven is, in fact, the new earth. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.13, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, part of this will be review. We'll go back and, and again, review a couple of things that I talked about last Sunday. Part of it not. All right, seven reasons. Number one, this is why heaven is the new earth. Intention. God's original intent was mankind and paradise together forever. Remember that? Man, paradise meaning the earth, Genesis chapter 1. He never gave up on that intent. Number two is redemption. The redemption of Jesus. When Jesus died, he died not just to redeem people, which he did, men and women and our bodies, but all of creation, Romans chapter 8, all of creation is groaning, waiting to be released from the curse of death and decay. And Jesus' resurrection laid the foundation for all of creation to be redeemed. All right, reason number three, restoration. Acts 3.21, restoration says that Jesus will remain in heaven until he returns to restore all things. All right, restoring all things to God's original intent. Number four, resurrection. Fourth reason, the resurrection of our physical bodies. If we're going to have physical bodies, there's a reason for that. Theologian Anthony Hokima writes it this way. Resurrected bodies are not intended just to float in space or to flit from cloud to cloud. They call for a new earth. That is, resurrected bodies call for a new earth on which to live and to work glorifying God. The doctrine of the resurrection of the body makes no sense whatever apart from the doctrine of the new earth on which to live. All right, reason number five, revelation. God has revealed this to us in the Bible. Again, Peter's verse, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Reason number six, illustration. The book of Revelation in God's picture book. And here's the way John pictures it in Revelation 21-2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The picture is of heaven coming down to the earth, these two merging together. And then the seventh reason, affirmation. Affirmation. Solomon writes in Proverbs 19-20, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise 
the rest of your life. Now, all I'm saying right here is <clears throat> this is a not a minority view that's out in left field somewhere. In fact, all of the conservative scholarship that I usually go to and reference for my study and preparation and the commentators, this is their view. I, I think it's become the majority view of conservative Christian scholarship today that heaven is the new earth. Now, this is not necessarily the strongest reason. The first six here are more biblical, but it counts for something. And I'm talking about you know, you've heard me reference before in my messages Dr. Cottrell, Dr. Chambers, Dr. Presley, Randy Alcorn wrote the 500-page book on heaven, great book, Anthony Hokima, C.S. Lewis, just, just a lot of very smart conservative scholars, this is their view. So I think that counts for something. So there you go. Seven solid reasons for us to believe and embrace the idea heaven is not a disembodied experience. Heaven is our resurrected bodies on the new earth. There's a little boy that came to his mom. She said, Mommy, uh, he said, Mommy, uh, there's a lion outside. And she said, Son, that's not a lion. That's a big dog. Now, you know better than that. He said, No, no, it's a lion. She said, Son, you're really having a problem lately with all your exaggeration and, and lying. She said, You need to stop it. That's a dog. He said, No, it's a lion. She said, All right, you go to your room for an hour, and you talk to God about it, and then come back out. So he went to his room, and an hour later, he came out. He had his head down, and mom asked him, now, son, did you talk to God about that issue? He said, yes, mommy, I did. She said, well, what did God say? And he said, well, God said when he first saw it, he thought it was a lion too. <laughs> now, that's just being stubborn. So don't be stubborn. Look at these seven great reasons and come on over to the new earth side. All right, so I said all that, and we laid the foundation last Sunday, and we went through that part of the message to get to this part. What will, what will heaven be like on the new earth? What will heaven be like on the new earth? Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. By the way, you know, we say, well, why, why would God create a new heaven if we weren't supposed to live in the new heaven? Heaven has more than one meaning. As used in Scripture, it can mean where God is, and that's what it means right now, where the, where the physical presence of God is. But also, as it's used here in new heavens and new earth, it's simply talking about a new sky and new solar system, new cosmos. We've got a new heavens and then the new physical planet Earth. Okay, I'm going to say four things about what heaven may be like as the new Earth. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this because the Bible is not particularly explicit about it, is it? You know, there's not a whole lot of biblical data to deal with. So what we're doing is we're looking at the biblical data we have and we're kind of teasing out the clues and making applications to what life might be like in heaven as the new earth. But there is some information there. And what is there, I think, is encouraging. All right, number one. Heaven as the new earth will be different but the same as life on this earth. Different but the same. If you might recall, if you were here when we were talking about, when we had our message on our new bodies and what our new bodies will be like, our resurrected bodies, we said we had the principle of redemptive continuity. Continuity. That is, when the Bible says we'll have new bodies, we don't look at each other and say, body, what's a body? We know what bodies are. We've lived with bodies all of our lives, so we have a general idea. We use the iPhone as an example. When there's a new version of the iPhone coming out, we don't say, what's an iPhone? We know generally what an iPhone is. It'll be like the one we have with some upgrades. This same principle holds true. Heaven is the new earth. What's the new earth going to be like? Well, 
the present earth gives us a lot of data and a lot of information about the new earth. Yes, there will be some differences and there will be some changes, but there will be, in general, a lot that is the same with this earth. That's why it's being compared to that. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus' disciples had come to him and they were worried because they had sacrificed so much for the kingdom. And he encouraged them and he promised them that they would be rewarded, he says, at the renewal of all things. Matthew 19, 28, at the renewal of all things. That word renewal is in the original language, it's palygenesia. Palygenesia is a combination of two words that literally say the new genesis. And Jesus says, at the new genesis, at the renewal of all things, you will be rewarded. We're going back to God's original intent, beautiful paradise of a planet untainted by sin and death and decay. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. I think there are seven books in that series, and the last one is The Last Battle. And in, in that series, it's a great series, full of allegory and analogies of, of the Christian life. The inhabitants of Narnia are leaving Narnia. Narnia is going to be destroyed, and they're transitioning into the land of Aslan. Aslan is the lion that represents Jesus. So they're leaving this land behind. They're moving to a new land. And they began to realize a lot of Aslan's land looks very familiar to them. I mean, it's different, but there's a familiarity. And the unicorn is one of the magical animals there. And he sums it up this way. He says, the reason we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. The reason we love the parts of our life here in this, on this planet and in this life is because sometimes it looks a little bit like what heaven is going to be like for us. So first thing I've said, different but the same. Second thing, God will live with us. Remember in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, the Bible says that God would walk with Adam and Eve sometimes in the cool of the day there in the garden. He was with them in a way that he is not physically with us now. I mean, he's with us, but not like that. Revelation 21.3, John writes, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Theologian Anthony Hokima writes, since where God dwells, there heaven is. We conclude that in the life to come, heaven and earth will no longer be separated as they are now, but will be merged. Believers will therefore continue to be in heaven as they continue to live on the new earth. Remember, the basic definition of heaven is wherever God's presence is. God's presence is coming now to be with us on the new earth. Now I'm going to move on to the next point, but this may be the most important thing. Theologians for years have talked about the idea of the beatific vision. The beatific means the beautiful, good vision. That's the vision of God. When we see God, we see the essence of God. Now, it will still have to be a theophany, a physical manifestation of some kind. But just to be in the very presence of God and to see God, they have speculated, will result in overwhelming joy and love which will be our experience for eternity. God will be present with us on the new earth. Okay, number three, the blessings of nature, of food, of fun, of fellowship and relationships may well be on the new earth. Is there going to be food there? Are we going to eat? Well, we know for sure there has to be Chick-fil-A, but then there may be some other 
things as well. Panera, you know, Panera Bread may be on there as well. The blessings of food, fun, fellowship, nature will be part of heaven as well. Heaven is described in the Bible as a home, a city, a country, a banquet, and an earth. Again, let me quote you. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven is just uh, excellent. But he writes, sometimes when we look at this world's breathtaking beauty, standing in a gorgeous place where the trees and flowers and rivers and mountains are wondrous, we feel a twinge of disappointment. Why? Because we know we're going to leave this behind. In consolation or self-rebuke, we might say, this world is not my home. But if we're honest, we might add, but part of me sure wishes it was. What we really want is to live forever in a world with all the beauty and none of the ugliness. A world without sin, death, the curse, and all the personal and relational problems and disappointments that they create. When we get in the car and we turn on our favorite music and head home to barbecue with friends and watch a ball game and play golf, ride bikes, work in the garden, or curl up savoring a cup of coffee and a good book, we do these things not because we're sinners, but because we're people. And we will still be people when we die and go to heaven. This is not a disappointing reality. It's God's plan. He made us as we are. These experiences are not heaven, but they are foretastes of heaven. What we love about this life are the things that resonate with the life we were made for. The things we love are not merely the best this life has to offer. They are previews of the greater life to come. If you sit in the movie and they got the previews before the movie rolls and you see what's coming and what's funny and what looks exciting, what we love about this life, he says, he suggests, are previews of the life to come. And Whenever God replaces something, like he's replaced the old covenant with the new covenant for Christianity. He's replaced the old priesthood with a new priesthood. He's replaced the old sacrifices of animals with the sacrifice of Jesus. Whenever God replaces something, it's always better. It's always an upgrade. It's always a step up. <clears throat> and finally, there's work. And we will have work to do and things to occupy us in heaven. Genesis 1.26, the original mandate for Adam and Eve, let them have dominion. This was before the fall and before sin. They were to take care of the animals. They were to take care of the garden. They were to take care of the planet. They were to take care of the creation. They had work to do. And again, Randy Alcorn writes, service is a reward and not a punishment. This idea is foreign to people who dislike their work and only put up with it until retirement. And we think that faithful work should be rewarded by vacation for the rest of our lives. But God offers us something very different. Work, responsibility, opportunity, along with greater abilities, resources, wisdom, and empowerment. We will have sharp minds, strong bodies, clear purpose, and unabated joy. The more we serve Christ now, the greater our capacity will be to serve him in heaven. So I hope you're looking forward to heaven. Uh, I am maybe looking forward to it a little bit more. The best that we have here is going to be present and things that are even greater. And I know there are a lot of questions. I haven't even come close to answering all the questions. And I have a lot of questions. And when, you know, I've got a list of FAQs here I wish I could, could get to. And one of them is, how can I be happy and joyful in heaven when some of the memories that I have or some of my relatives and friends maybe aren't going to be there? You know, There's just suggested answers to that. Jack Cottrell thinks that God will wipe our memories from those relationships so we won't be carrying sorrow with us into heaven. Randy Alcorn thinks we'll just have a totally different perspective of God's judgment and his justice and that the joy and the love of God's presence will overwhelm any sense of sorrow. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do know this for a fact. The Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe every tear from our eyes 
and there will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain. <coughs> Would you bow with me in a word of prayer, please? And then we're going to show a, a, just a brief clip some of the things we love about our planet Earth. Father in heaven, we thank you for this vision of heaven that you give us in your scriptures. We thank you because we know what you had to do to, to prepare this home for us and the price that you have to pay. We are not unmindful of that. We are eager uh, to be with you. And sometimes we're reticent to leave this world. I mean, we're torn, but we're, we know we have something better to go to, and we thank you for giving us that living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.